For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Shut up and sit down. Hello and welcome back to Fourth Down Focus, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. I am Dan Lundy, host of the podcast and founder of Fourth Down University. We're getting close to the college football playoffs, and the NFL playoff picture is becoming much clearer. It's been a wild season. I'm playing fantasy football, and uh, I started real slow, and it's picking up. But it's just been crazy with the injuries, and it's expected this late in the year. Um, as always, I use Bet Online. It's my number one spot, and your number one spot for NFL and college football action. With a new website and even more odds, props, and bets and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website betonline.ag or use your phone to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. And don't forget to use promo code NFL100. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on your favorite sports. Episode 59 of the podcast welcomes Coach Joe Selfo, offensive line and run game coordinator for Gardner-Webb University. Joe, it is an honor to have you on the show. How are you doing, man? I'm doing awesome. I just appreciate you having me on here, Coach Lundy. Yeah, I uh, I met Joe in Daytona Beach at DME uh, quite, just probably about five years ago, maybe six. You could probably recollect better than me. I'm getting too old for that. But I met you. You impressed me, man. Like we were just talking in pre-recording about how, you know, you were in NFL pre-draft. You had just played uh, your last football um, probably two months prior to that. Uh, you were staying in shape, getting ready, staying ready. And you came down to Daytona to stay ready. And I was referred to you through the owner of the facility and uh, just what an impact you made on my life to see that, like, like how, how, how much of a leader and, and what a leader can look like at a young age. It's hard to find young 20 somethings that have really found themselves and, and you knew who you were and, and uh, it stood out and you came out of your way one day after a, a workout to my high school I taught at, at the time and you gave like undivided attention to each and every one of our starting five offensive linemen. And I was just telling you in pre-recording that four of those kids played college football at a very high level. Uh, some are still actually actively playing. Um, so I just want to thank you for that. And I want to tell your story a little bit. And I want to start with high school because uh, that's where things really get interesting with football, especially. Um, I did some research on you and saw that you were the number 12 center prospect in the entire nation. You were the number one center out of Georgia in high school. Uh, can you share your high school experience, especially the recruiting side, uh, signing with USA, and then ultimately ending your career at NC State? Yeah, so I went to uh, North Oconee High School, which is a small 2A school uh, right off the interstate in Athens, Georgia, outside of there. Um, I was I was pretty under recruited. I was about 5'11", 5'10", 240 pounds my freshman, sophomore year. So I uh, I had no idea that I was going to even get the opportunity to play football in college. 
Uh, but I just continue to work. I played multiple sports because, you know, I, did, I, I knew I loved sports um, I, and I knew I wanted to have a future in it. I just didn't know how that that was going to, you know, come to fruition. I didn't know if I was going to have to, you know, go be a student assistant and be around football uh, right out of high school. But, you know, fortunate enough, I, I just worked my butt off and I got the opportunity and only takes one, you know, university kind of give you an opportunity and then your whole life can change after that. But um, my first three years of high school, uh, I did I had no attention. Um, I played football, baseball, and basketball, all three sports year round, um, had no, I don't, I don't think anybody knew my name. And then my, uh, I didn't even go to camps cause I was too scared of my height. Uh, I, I figured, you know, I'm five eleven and a half. and a half. What coach is going to take a five eleven uh, center from a small, you know, public school in Athens, Georgia. I, I just, uh, I stayed away from, I, I was going to run a five, seven or five, eight at best in my 40 yard dash. And, uh, but my my junior spring is kind of when I blew up. I just I genuinely just put my head down. I went to work and I and I told myself, I was like, I'm going to make these college coaches say no to me. I'm going to do everything I can, everything, you know, within my power. And I finally learned that I, I can't control the things that I was so worried about, uh, like my height, uh, my my arm length. I couldn't control it. So I'm not going to sit here and harp on it and try to change that because it's never going to change. Um, so my recruiting really took off my junior year of high school. And it's cra- it's absolutely crazy because that is literally when I just said, you know what, I'm just going to surrender the outcome of my college career to God and I'm going to see what happens. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to surrender all this. I'm going to put my head down, go to work and see what happens. And, uh, you know, luckily I got some opportunities. Uh, you know, I got a, I got a decent amount of offers, but at the end of the day, a lot of them weren't real. Uh, you know, I, I had I was ranked pretty high. Uh, I went to a couple visits and actually ended up getting dropped because of my size. Uh, so I really only had about two or three offers out of high school that, you know, I could have actually signed to. And luckily one of them was South Alabama. Um, I signed there out of high school, um, played there for four years. I uh, ended up starting 36 games at South Alabama, 38, something like that. Um, kind of the same story in high school. I, I, my freshman year, I was redshirted. Uh, my first couple of days of practice, they moved me to center and I snapped them ball through the goalpost uh got benched pretty quick I, I got moved to scout team I was a scout team all American I was one of those scout team guys that every single player hated but the coaches liked because I tried really hard uh, you know a couple injuries you know happened my redshirt freshman year I ended up you know playing a couple games and I ended up starting and kind of the rest is history kind of a long story <laughs> that was concise for how much you just gave us and what stood out to me was, um, like I tell a lot of my kickers, I'll give you a good example, Cairo Santos, uh, 5'9", 145 at Tulane, where your dad was. Your dad used to coach, I, I learned. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll talk about that a little later. But my point to Cairo was always, you know, you're not going to pass the eyeball test initially at these camps, and typically that's all it takes to not have a chance. Um, and it's it's no different in kicking, right? Um, it's just – it's it's off sticks you know you get to pick your own ball that there's so many there's so many things that you, that you can bring into the equation that aren't a part of a football play right you know you get issued you get issued a ball you get issued win conditions you get one chance you have a holder you don't have um a wizard or whatever they they want to use for that particular day so there's no live operation the evaluation is strictly off of how big and massive you are and how big and massive your leg is um, so if you want to win a kickball camp, it may, it could work for you, right? But I think the people that are sustainable, the people that are ultimately professionals are not necessarily the most gifted on paper. Um, and like you said, I think that this is only 
through other sports, right? I think that versatility is essential. I think you as a college coach look for, for versatility and look for kids that have a wide range of, of experiences, right? Because if we can draw uh, uh, parallels to, to football from other experiences, I think it's, it makes an easier person to coach. What are your thoughts on that? No, I completely agree. That's, that's the first thing that I look at when I'm, when I'm evaluating high school prospect is just uh, if they're a one sport guy, uh, then it kind of shows like, number one, they better be elite. They better be like a, you know, a five-star guaranteed, you know, signee to whatever university they want, or they, you know, or it's going to be harder for me to kind of dig into them. Cause I'm putting a $250,000 investment into the kid. Um, so I got to do my homework on that. And, and when you kind of only focus on football, I think that you only become a football player and you become robotic, if that makes sense. Uh, mm -hmm. My belief, I think a, a lot of my colleagues in the profession are very, you know, aligned with this. But when you when you only play football for so long, you, you start to, like I just said, become robotic. And what I mean by that is that the more sports you play, the more natural of an athlete you become uh, so that the, the picture in college football. And this is what I learned as a, as a kid when my dad was coaching. The picture in college football always changes. So you have to learn how to react to things. You have to have some situational awarenesses and the, the, the way that you can self-train in regards to self-awareness is by playing other sports. So like, for instance, I played basketball and baseball. So basketball taught me hand-eye coordination. Basketball taught me how to uh, move within the framework of my body, uh, how to react, like, right? If I'm going to get a rebound, like I'm reacting to the rebound um, to whereas football, I'm, I was playing offensive line. Well, I'm only going to learn how to react by practice. And so it's, it's not game-like situations. It's not as quick. It's not as fluid as basketball. So I learned that from basketball. Baseball, uh, along the similar lines of, of um, hand-eye coordination, but also patience too, right? Like that is a three and a half hour game. It's, it's nine innings. Like that, it's kind of hard to sit there and do it. And I'm ADD, so ba uh, baseball taught me obviously hand-eye coordination physically, but the mental aspect of it. It's kind of like all these you know pro quarterbacks. They play golf. Why? Because it trains their their mind to be patient. It trains their mind to control you know, the situation and kind of take each swing one step at a time. Well, same thing with baseball does at high school. So that's kind of my belief on it. I, I think a lot of my colleagues are in the same boat. Yeah. You were a high performer in college. You know, you ended, as mentioned, at NC State. And I think that your experience in these in these other arenas, these, these other sports, um, got you to where you wanted to go, which was ultimately, you know, you, you had opportunities um, to play uh, after college can you talk about your experiences as an NFL free agent and uh what ultimately led you to coaching yeah I I my experience post uh college so like you said I, I played at South Alabama for four years and then I grad transferred to NC State uh you know among a lot of different reasons uh but the main one was I wasn't very happy in my situation at South uh, but I did do the right thing and I graduated I got my degree and then I left um, and I knew I wanted to play at the highest, absolute highest level of competition possible. So I went to NC State. Uh, transfer process is not always the exact picture that you think that you've been in. Uh, so I went through some, some ups and downs there in that situation, but it all worked out. A couple injuries got me on the field and then I didn't let anybody else beat me out and then uh, played, you know, the whole season there pretty well. Uh, Post-college, I got invited to the East-West Shrine game. Uh, luckily, you know, I did, like I said, I told you earlier, I'm six foot tall with 29 and a half inch arms. Right. So the whole time I'm at the game, I've got, I'm staying next to guys that are absolute giants. Uh, but I didn't think that they were that good football players, to be honest. Uh, but just that measurement game obviously hurt me, especially in my position. 
And uh, I actually had a really, really good week of practice. And I think that really helped me. Um, it's not like the combine because I'm not gonna, I'm not a combine type guy, uh, but the East West Shrine game where I could put the pads on and play football really helped me. Um, and then, you know, going through the off season program, that's kind of when it, me and you crossed paths, I uh, went down to DMU to train and, and to work out because all I wanted to do was just exhaust my, my life into this one opportunity to see what happens. Like I wasn't expecting to get drafted. Um, I, I, I just wanted to do it. And, um, I got the opportunity with the Texans. They signed me as a free agent. And I got, you know, I didn't make the team uh, into the season or anything like that, but I, but I did, I got to where I wanted to be and I made those people tell me no. So that's something that I'm, I can never, like nobody can ever take that away from me. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't make a bunch of money. I well, it's not why I do it. I do it because I love the competition. I love football. I love the game. I love uh, basically, I just love to compete. That's why I do it. I didn't do it for the money. Um, and, and that's ultimately what led me into coaching. Uh, you know, this, it's kind of a long story, but when I got cut, when I didn't make the team with Houston, I, uh, me and a couple of my buddies were in an RV, got a road trip and, you know, drove across the country from Jacksonville, Florida, Santa Monica Pier, uh, every single mile of I-10. So I, uh, along the whole trip, I would stop at these big universities and walk in the door and try to meet the coaches. Uh, you know, I met Coach Orgeron at LSU, Coach Clay Helton at SC, just introduced myself and be like, hey, I'm Joe Selfo. I, I'd love to meet you. I'm not looking for a job right now, but in a few months, I'm going to be looking for a job. I'd love to continue to build a relationship with you. I met like five or six coaches like that. And uh, I just kind of fell in love with it. I, I always wanted to coach. I wanted to give back to people. I enjoy seeing things in people that they don't see in themselves. Very similar to you, right? Like I, I enjoy seeing a uh, a kid who I know he can do it, but he doesn't think he could do it. And then, you know, giving him the tools for him to believe it and then going and doing it, I think is incredible. And I think it brings me great joy, uh, you know, telling somebody that they can do something, showing them how to do it. And then they go out there and execute it. It's unbelievable. It's a great feeling. Um, and then also the, the competition part of it. Amen. Dang. I like you ended that pretty powerfully. I wasn't expecting that, but it, it's comforting to hear that like, when a coach talks about purpose, if it's about the service side of it, those are usually the coaches that are going to do it forever because the other ones are very volatile. They're successful in certain ways, offensively, defensively, scheme. But if their purpose isn't in the, in the right place, it comes out eventually, right? And we see, and we see these things all the time. Yes. Um, so I want to talk more about you and as far as what stood out to me, and I'm not an expert in, in center play or offensive line play, but I noticed how technical you were that day that you gave back to my young men and like how much leverage you created with God. And you know, those guys you work with that day, they were very gifted physically. We're talking about six, four on the average 300 pound boys in high school. These kids just didn't have the technical side. And that's what really resonated with me about you is you, you were able to quickly within an hour, hour and a half, give each and every one of those guys like three or four essential things that were personal to their problem. Like what, what weren't they using, right? What were they doing excessively? And these are the things we talk about all the time in punting and kicking and snapping is it's not about giving you uh, new and, uh, awesome information. It's about identifying the things that are excessive that are, are, are not making you as consistent, right? Mm -hmm. If you're doing more things, there's more variables, there's more variables. Your goal is, is kind of clouded. There, there's, there's a lot of ways that can go wrong. Um, and I know I went off on a tangent, but I do have a purpose for this. Um, you now as a coach, um, cause you spent your whole life on the offensive side of the ball. You were I mean, centers are the smartest people in the field. A lot of people don't realize that, but they know everyone's stuff, 
right? And they have, mm-hmm. and, and they know every front seven, and they're making sure every everything's intact. I mean, it's it's incredible what you know. But now that you're a coach, how has your perception on special teams changed? I think it changed tremendously because I didn't appreciate it as a player. Like I don't, I didn't appreciate. I don't, I don't think that I understood how much time, effort, and and uh, just the 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 small details about the position. I had no idea. I just thought that those guys would go out there and kick and punt. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm just being honest, um, and I think that that's kind of a, a common misperception. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but if you don't, if you've never played it and you never felt that fire, you genuinely have no idea what it's like to go out there and kick a game-winning field goal. You don't know what it's like to go kick an extra point. Right? It's 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 extremely difficult. Uh, the pressure, the mental. So I started. I I had a, I built a an appreciation for that more so on the mental side of things. To be honest, um, as a coach, I, I genuinely believe that the most mentally strong kids on the team are, are most of the time, they're going to be your punter, your kicker, your center, and your quarterback most of the time. Why? Because those guys do the same exact thing every single play. And if it's not done to the same exact standard, then it's going to be altered. It's going to be a miss. It's going to be high left or low right. Right. So uh, I've just gained an absurd amount of appreciation for those type of guys. I think those positions you just meant mentioned, the critical ones, mm-hmm. uh, you can't recover in those positions. Yes. Right. You, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of positions. I know, I know things happen in six, seven seconds often, but there's certain positions where you can make a mistake and recover and maybe not get beat, maybe not win the play, but maybe not get beat. Whereas you, you really can't in terms of snapping, kicking, punting, quarterback play center, you, you can't recover. And I think those people have to be mentally, not necessarily like Einstein, not, you don't have to be the brightest, but you, you almost do, you know? Um, and if you're not, you, you have to have your stuff together. You got to be super organized. You got to be in the film room more than everybody else. If you're not smart. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know I'm going off on a tangent, but I, I want to mention now you're, you're coaching at uh, NC State. Uh, you're coaching at Southeast Louisiana. You're now at Gardner Webb. Um, what are a few characteristics you've seen across the board at all these places? Because they might be slightly different in level, but I think specialists share certain characteristics, at least the good ones do. But I wanted your thoughts on that. What do you think? specialists uh it's a must that specialists should have when making that transition from high school football to major college football i think you kind of nailed it with the organization uh between the organization and then the consistency uh i think that i and i learned this from a special teams guy that i that i ga'd with um you watch their routine more so than their execution and you can correct me if i'm wrong but you see a kicker, um, especially me personally, I want to I, I watch how they approach the ball. I watch how they approach a kick. I watch the mental fortitude. I watch to see if they're locked in. I watch to see their eyes, their body language. And then obviously you make the kick. But I watch the entire process. And that's kind of how I eval specialists. Uh, a long snapper, is he walking up to the football, setting his feet? Uh, you know, getting down, doing the same exact routine day uh, every single snap, or is he just casually walking up, having his feet there, and he just looks lackadaisical, looks like he doesn't really care, but he's got, you know, he can fire back there. Like, that's great, but this is Division One football, right? There's a lot of guys that can fire back there. Uh, same thing with kicking and punting. Are you doing the same, you know, routine? Are you locked in, focused? 
Um, and then obviously the physical performance as well, but that's, that's the main thing for me personally. And that I've learned. Yeah. I I'll draw a parallel when I was watching you that day, instructing, demonstrating, if you will, how quickly you would address the ball and get your feet set in your optimal position, right? Pre-snap position. Now you do that a lot more often than I would in a game hypothetically, because I'm kicking, you know, if we're scoring three or four times that day, I'm, I'm going out there four times for that. I might get one or two field goal attempts and I'll kick off five or six. So I'll, I'll get 12 attempts. You'll get whatever, 90 sometimes now. It's ridiculous how much these people play. It's so quick. This game is quick. I mean, it used to be 50, 60s. Now you're getting way more snaps. Like my point to this is in kicking, since we get less, the pre-snap routine, I think, is vital. The things you're seeing now. I think these kids, uh, hopefully they're realizing it's not just aesthetic. Like we're not taking three back and two over for the purpose of doing so. No, you, you're finding your spot in your, in your stance, the, almost down to the inch, because ideally you want to do the same exact jab, same exact drive step, and then transition the same way at the same rate of change, same tempo, if you will, into the plant to give you that, that perfect plant to invite for a perfect swing plane, to invite for everything to be natural in the finish. Um, all these things should be considered. And yes, in training, Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, you need to refine your process during that time, especially in individual time, which I think should be much more structured at the college level. I think that, yes, your perception is valid. I think that most kids, even now um, that are listening are guilty of this, they kick way too much. Um, they don't do enough dry repetition, mental repetition, visualization, entering the field. How am I going to enter for a 45 left on the opposite numbers? Well, I got to take a wider turn so I run at the upright so they get bigger, right? All these things are super important and they're not considered often, but I think the best ones do. Um, so I want to uh, talk about your dad a little bit, you know, like in learning about your, your story, um, I, I was blessed to have a father that was in my life. He was at every practice. He was, he was my coach for a year and a half in high school. So I've had that experience, not as much as you, but I've had the same experience you did having a, a father who played, you know, at a high level. My dad was a, a soccer player, but um, anyway, the point is Chris Selfo, your father is a veteran coach of 30 years. Um, how is this experience with him coaching you and, uh, you having him as a mentor, Ben, uh, and what have you taken away from his guidance? I think uh, our relationship growing up was kind of off and on uh, because he was working so much. And I always saw him putting so much time in other people's kids. that I'm like, what about me? And uh, so my my sophomore year, freshman year of high school is kind of when our relationship took off because we made a pact. It was like, all right, you're not my coach or my dad. So like, let's you know, let's have some, let's just find some balance between the two. And, you know, ever since then, our relationship's completely taken off. Uh, you know, obviously he's my best friend, uh, but he's also somebody that I can turn to with guidance and, and advice. Um, Cause this, this coaching world is crazy. Uh, even though I, I feel like I've, I'm, I'm doing it for the right reasons uh, because I love what I do, but it's also one of those things where not everyone is like that. Right. So kind of like the nice guys finish last type deal. Um, he's just taught me to how to, how to, how to not become that, um, how to recognize, you know, that this is not who I want to be. Like, this is the way to kind of go about your business and this is the way to do it and to make sure that you're doing this for the right reasons. Uh, and he told me a long time ago, he was like, if you're going to get into coaching and you're not going to do it for the right reasons and you're on your own, man, 
uh, like do your thing and good luck. But he was like, if you do it because you genuinely love it and you wake up every single day happy, then, you know, I got you. Like, I will, I will help you out in any way possible. Um, I'll give you advice. And if you care, then good things will happen to you. Don't worry about, about it. Um, but I've learned a lot about him. I've learned, um, you know, a lot from him, even playing like my college in, in college is when I started to utilize the coaching part. I'd call him after every single practice and I'd send him video clips. I'd be like, Hey, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Right. So, but he's, you know, he's always been my coach in life and as my dad. Um, but he, we've, we've done a really good job just finding that balance. I'm glad that you started that story with some honesty because it is tough. Being a coach mm-hmm. is very, very difficult because you do have to, a good coach will pour his entire being into the betterment of several people, which, which is, it takes a lot of energy and it's not like a physical energy. It's like, it, as much as it's like such an emotional energy that it is draining physically. Right. And, and then you've got to go home and be a man and, 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 and take care of what's most important, your family. So that's, it's, it's a, it's a selfless uh, thing that sometimes it seems selfish to kids because kids are ego, egocentric. They it's me, me, me. I'm the only thing in existence and you're my father. Um, and I, and your dad pro- probably did the best job he could. And, and clearly he did because of your relationship now and you realizing all the things he sacrificed. So I, th- I think coaching is sacrifice. Um, I, I really do. And I, I commend you for what you do. And I know that you have very little time. So, um, I want to move on and uh, I guess just hit the last question, Joe. Um, if you had, let's say hypothetically right now, there's about a thousand high school specialists that listen or parents. Um, if you had a minute to say something to that community of people um, who have the uh, aspirations of playing at your level, maybe even playing for you one day, what would you tell them to do in the, in, in the short term that will result in, in the long-term goals? I would tell them to a couple pieces of advice. I would tell them to control what you can control. Uh, don't worry about things that you're not going to be able to change. Uh, for instance, your height, uh, not, not your weight. Cause you can change that. You can control that. Uh, and then I'd say to reach out to people and, and get advice when it comes to coaching, like how can you progress your game? Don't ever get complacent in where you are in your career, whether you're a sophomore in high school and you got 20 offers or a senior in high school with zero offers like that time will come. And one opportunity can change your entire life. Uh, and, and you got to have a realistic expectation of where you think you're going to be able to play. And I think in order to find that, you've got to ask around, you got to see coaches like Coach Lundy. I would I would reach out to Coach Lundy, even if I don't know him. Uh, just because it doesn't hurt to reach out. And if he doesn't respond, then he doesn't respond, but he's really good about it. So, um, you know, speaking about you, Coach Lundy, like I would I would just reach out to people like you and say, you know, what do you think? Is there anything you can do uh, to, you know, to help me? And then go go seek some help somewhere physically. Play multiple sports in high school. Um, you know, get around as much as you can, but don't set yourself up uh, for a Power 5 offer when at the end of the day you're an FCS-type kid. You know, that's what I'm talking about by reaching out to people and seeing kind of where you are. Uh, you got to have realistic expectations. Don't chase the University of Georgia. You can go to Kennesaw State and, and play there and have a great career. Right. So just be realistic with where you're at coming out of high school. So I, I would suggest the same. I really appreciate that answer. That was more than a minute. They got way more than their, their bargain. So I love what you mentioned. And I want to stress something about what you just said. Uh, networking is vital. You know, Twitter seems to be where the college coaches are and, and, and where I'm directing my athletes to present themselves as their personal brand. And I always tell my kids uh, how free this experience is, because as you mentioned, you know, 
if I want to go to Gardner Webb and I, I play them on the offensive side of the ball, or if I find out that you're my regional recruiting guy, I'm going to add you and hopefully be able to drop some film into your inbox. And what I tell my kickers and punters and snappers is, you know, once the, the that that rapport or the relationships established, if he does in fact like your game film, supplement that film periodically with just you and a cell phone. Right. Put the cell phone on a shoe, get a great angle, show the purpose for what it is you're doing, execute it, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and then that's how I think things get done in a lot of ways, uh, more so than like having to go to a camp. Um, That's just my opinion, you know. But I, I think that people like you want to see grinders. They don't need to see a guy that goes and performs four times a year and that's it. I want to know what that kid does on Tuesday by himself. You know, what's he doing? He's got to be doing something because when he's here in my school, he better be doing something on Tuesday that's productive. Okay. You know? Like we talked about, you're putting – like I'm putting $250,000 into a kid. So I don't need him for four days. I need him. Or at least 12 and then i need him for practice and spring that's 360 times you know <laughs> so w- with that being said you know networking is vital would you mind offering a few ways that people listening to the show could reach you um personally yeah my twitter uh that's where i spend the most of my recruiting time at that's at uh the letter j my last name selfo s-c-e-l-f-o and then the number 66 um, that's kind of how I do all my recruiting at. I uh, don't really pay attention to much else, to be honest. Um, the emails kind of flow in. We, we College coaches get thousands of emails. I'm um, just letting you guys know, thousands of emails. So the Twitter is more personalized. Uh, that's, that's the best way to reach me. You are dropping dimes. I say these things, but I think it's important for my guys that I train especially to hear it from guys like you who are actively recruiting high school football players that, you know, the email probably won't get seen, uh, but there's a good chance they're going to see, oh, someone new added me, and they might check your profile out. And if, if what below your picture says what needs to be said, you know, I might click the huddle too, and then boom. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to go out of my way. Like, I get, a bunch of, I get a bunch of people following me on Twitter, same thing with you. Like, I'm not, if I can't look at their bio and say, okay, he is a, uh, punter, kicker, long snapper in the class of 2022. Like, if it doesn't say that, I'm probably going to move on. Like, so I just need to know because I, we know what we're looking for. I know we've got to sign a kicker this class. So if you, we're not signing a free safety. So if your Twitter bio says free safety, then, hey, look, I'm not going to waste your time. You don't waste my time. But if I got to dig for your information, I'm, I'm not going to spend that much time on it. There's too many other kids that, that will do all that, you know, that will do things the right way type deal. Or most more efficient way, not right way. Yeah, the squeaky wheel, right? Gets the gets the grease, right? Like you're gonna be noticed, and you're either gonna stick or you're not. And what doesn't stick is you can't be vague. You can't have like a couple initials and a heart and a few emojis, and then like another link to another profile. Those don't work. Those are ineffective. That might work with your generation, but right now the coaches' generation they want to see a mini resume below your picture and something that's clickable right away. Pin that most important thing too, right? First things first. Um, but thank you, Joe. Uh, it means a lot to me, uh, especially that you came on, and I'm sure everyone got a lot out of this. Uh, please give us a five star rating, a review, subscribe to the show, and share it with a friend. If you have questions related to the podcast, you can get a hold of me, Dan Lundy, in several ways. My website is fourthdownu.com. 
uh, on social media, my Instagram and Twitter is at fourth down you and on Facebook and LinkedIn, find me at Dan space Lundy L U N D Y. Thanks again for joining us at fourth down focus presented by bet online. We'll see you next week with an exciting new guest. I hope 2021 is treating each of you well. And remember in all things, give thanks. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.